It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. We start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things. But first, if you see, I believe, I believe that there is a higher being. And I believe that at some point in time, everybody is going to have to, in one way or another, stand in front of St. Peter and and defend their their lives. And maybe it's not going to be St. Peter. Maybe it's going to But at some point in time, I believe in karma. And I believe that, you know, you you get judged on the type of person that you, you are. And there's just certain things. BD, who's producing the show today and always, there are just certain things that I do not want to be standing in front of the pearly gates and having to justify doing. And just every once in a while, you see, for example, with the Hurricane Harvey relief efforts, you see all these people coming forward, and, and you realize that there are really good people in the world. And then every once in a while, you see these stories that tell you there are also some horrible, horrible people in the world. What makes you the worst person in Milwaukee today? Well, here's the story as reported by Fox 6. Now, on, on Monday night, Labor night, night, around like 10 o'clock or so, there was a multiple shooting that broke out in a Sitco gas station on Tetonia and Florist in, in Milwaukee. Okay, now that in and of itself is not unusual because Milwaukee is a shooting gallery, and at any given moment, if you happen to stop in a gas station, your chances of being beaten up and robbed or shot at, well, okay, it's greater than you might like. But here's the story, the way Fox 6 reports it. One person was killed, and two others were hurt in a shooting late Monday night, September 4th, at a gas station on Milwaukee's north side. It happened near Tatonia and Flores just before midnight. Police say 24-year-old Detone Nash was shot and pronounced dead at the scene. Two other victims were taken to hospitals for treatment. Police said a 27-year-old man suffered multiple gunshot wounds and was in serious condition after the shooting. A 20-year-old man was also struck. The owner of the gas station and his children rushed to the business after learning what happened. They they reviewed the surveillance tape. This is all caught on surveillance tape and said it all began with an argument between customers. Uh, The owner says they talked inside, had some sort of disagreement. Then one of the persons came out shooting. It started once they had exited the store. There was a shootout between the two, basically, said the gas station owner's daughter. So, again, this is how things happen in the mean streets of Milwaukee. Two people get into an argument late in the night at Labor Day in a gas station. And how do they resolve it? Well, they pull out guns and start shooting at each other. Um, There were customers inside the store hiding from the gunfire. This is horrible, says one of the customers. Customers said it was eerie being at a gas station such a short time after the shooting. You feel a little shaken up. You feel a little weary. Well, welcome to Milwaukee. All right. Here's, you might say, okay, Jeff, where are you going with this? I mean, so, yeah, it's horrible. Yes, there was a shooting. But unfortunately, that happens all the time. What what about this story identifies the worst person in Milwaukee? Here's what they report. Not only disheartened by the violence, the owner's daughter said she's angered by the cold hearted nature of some people. She said someone went through the victim's pockets while he was lying on the floor. That was the most horrific thing to be doing. She said, I don't understand how somebody could loot like that. They just took whatever they found. OK, so let's review the bidding here. All right. People are in this gas station. You know, 
after 10 o'clock on Labor Day evening. A shootout breaks out. Bullets flying all over. Guy is hit and ultimately killed. He is laying on the ground dying. He is dying. And one of the pond scum customers that is there runs up to the guy. Do they try to you know help revive him? Do they try to help save him? No. One of the pond scum customers runs up and goes through the guy's pockets. What do they figure? He's not going to need it? I mean, they're taking his wallet. I mean, they're going through his pockets to see what they can steal as the man lays dying. Now, I guess there's a couple larger issues to this. Um, One is, have we raised generations of people that really are no better than animals? Because that's just the response. Gee, all right, uh, one of the members of the wolf pack has been killed. Here, let, let's go Let's go eat that person's body. I mean, have we raised generations of animals that are there? I guess that's one of the questions that goes on. But what type of person ends up doing this? Well, we know it is the worst person in Milwaukee. Now, the, the person's captured on the surveillance tape. They haven't made this aspect of the surveillance tape public, but that would be something. And I understand the cops have all sorts of things to do, but wouldn't you love to identify who the piece of pond scum was that decided, gee, somebody has been shot and is dying in front of me. I know what I'll do. I will go through his pockets and see what I can steal from him. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. That's the type of thing that somewhere down the line, you just hope that there is a God. Whatever type of God you believe in, you know, whatever he or she looks like in your mind, you just, you just hope that there's a God. And you hope that at some point in time, people who do that have to account for their behavior. All right. When we come back, big story number one, Foxconn advances and there is a controversy I don't think it's a big deal. I'll tell you why. Stick around. It's 842. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 846. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, yesterday um, into the evening, the Joint Finance Committee met. They have now resolved the budget. It goes to the state Senate for a vote early next week. It kicks over back to the assembly later on. It will be passed. The governor will sign it. Our several-month national nightmare is over. There's all sorts of aspects about the budget that we will talk about. In addition, the other thing coming out of joint finance was the Foxconn legislation. If you recall, about two weeks ago, the assembly passed legislation that would provide for the subsidies to Foxconn. Um, It went to joint finance, which is a combination of members from the Assembly and the Senate. It passed um, a modified version of the Foxconn approval, passed on a party-line vote, 12 Republicans voting for, all four Democrats voting against. It will now go to the state Senate. It will be voted on. It will be approved. It will then go back to the Assembly where it will be approved, and then it will go and the governor will sign it. They will break ground, and hopefully, if things work out, We will see thousands and thousands of jobs coming to southeastern Wisconsin. couple observations about this. First of all, it passed joint finance on a party-line vote. No Democrat voted in favor of this. This is appalling. And if this continues um, through the Assembly and the State Senate, 
when Foxconn is a success, and Foxconn will be a success, the Democrats are going to own their failure to stand up for this. Now, in the Assembly, three Democrats voted for the original piece of legislation, two from the Kenosha area, one from the Racine area. Not a single Milwaukee Democrat voted for this. I think this is the height, that the height of partisanship over the interest of your constituents. Look, I understand that there are risks with Foxconn, but the truth of the matter is you have Democrats in Milwaukee in particular that that, um, end up representing some of the portions of the state where you have the highest economic problems and the highest unemployment rates. The idea that you have an employer that is potentially going to come in and provide thousands of jobs within 20 or 30 miles of where your constituents live, this could be a life preserver. This could be a game changer. You would think that the Milwaukee Democrats would be completely and totally 100% on board with this and would rather than voting against the Foxconn incentives And rather than trying to be wet blankets and throw water on this deal, they would be trying to figure out, all right, what is it that I can do to connect my constituency, my constituents, the people who desperately need jobs, with Foxconn a short distance away? That should be their objective. But rather than being able to do that, because Foxconn was an initiative driven by Scott Walker, who's up for re-election next year, and... um driven in part by Donald Trump, they can't bring themselves to come aboard. It is shameful, shameful, shameful that you have people who've decided, all right, we're going to let, again, partisanship, we're going to let party loyalty stand in the way of our constituents. And when Foxconn is a success, and I believe it will be, some people are going to have some explaining to do. So what's the latest objection and where is the outrage this morning? Well, all right, one of the things that is key with Foxconn is... As part of the legislation, they don't want this dragging out. The the legislators don't want this dragging out for years and years. We have seen this in Wisconsin before. You will remember the mining bills up north. What would happen is you'd have legislative initiatives that would pass the mining bills. And then what you had is you had some of the anti-business activists who would come in and file lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit with the idea of not necessarily hoping to win, but the idea of trying to tie this matter up in the courts as long as possible. And what happens sometimes is you have these businesses that come in, they want to start things up, and then they end up saying, okay, in order to get the various approvals, we've not only got to go through the regulatory process dealing with the bureaucracy, but then once the regulatory process is done, we know that this group or that group is going to sue us. And then it's going to go into the court system, and it's going to drag, and it's going to drag, and it's going to drag. And what happens, and some of, again, the anti-business or some of the environmental extremists, they know. They know that they can just win by filing lawsuit after lawsuit and delaying the process. Well, the governor and the legislature, at least the majority of the legislature, they they don't want to allow that to happen. They don't want to allow the court system to be misused in that particular fashion. So what they've done is they've essentially set up a fast-track system for the way litigation is going to be handled with regard to Foxconn. People 
will still be able to sue. And already you've got environmental groups who are saying that they're looking at suing over the Foxconn legislation. Hasn't even been fi- hasn't even been signed into law yet. But you've got environmental groups that are already threatening to end up suing. All right, this provision would allow again parties could sue, but once and you sue in circuit court, and in Wisconsin there's this system: you get the circuit court. Then if you lose in circuit court, you can go to the appellate court where it will sit. And then if you lose in the appellate court, you can take an appeal up to the Supreme Court. It is possible to drag out things for months and years. This legislation that they passed and will be signed goes into what it essentially does is it fast tracks the system. It says people can sue. You sue in circuit court. But whichever party loses and wants to take an appeal... You bypass the appellate court. It goes directly to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will decide. So by doing this, you take somewhere between nine months and two or three years out of the litigation process because you say it's going to be a direct appeal. Now, some of the usual suspects are complaining about this, saying, oh, this is terrible, you know, it's unusual, I'm concerned about, you know, what what's happening. It sounds like it's rigging the game. No, it's not rigging the game. It's just saying we want to get this done as quickly as possible. So, Sue, go into court. But rather than having this intermediate level, the appellate court, whoever doesn't like the outcome of what happens in circuit court, boom, you go straight to the Supreme Court and they decide because we don't want to allow this to drag out for years and years. That delaying tactic has been something that the left has been using with some degree of success over the last decade or so. This is incredibly smart. It's big story number one. Foxconn, as part of the legislation that passes it, cuts out the appellate court. You still get reviewed. The case can still go up to the Supreme Court. You get still get the same people who are going to ultimately decide this one way or the other, but they're going to decide it much more promptly. Like Foxconn or not, we want to get this thing started. We want to get shovels in the ground. We want to get people working, and this is a great way to expedite the process. It's big story number one. Big story number two coming up. It is a day after the announcement on the Dreamers. Where do we go from here? Stick around. It's 8.53. It's 9.08. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Big story number two. One day after, what do we do with Dreamers? Dreamers are, of course, that's the euphemism that we use to describe approximately 800,000 people who came into this country illegally. Um, while they were minors. They were typically young people who were brought into this country by their parents. Um, The parents were not allowed to legally come here, but they've essentially taken up residency. So back in, what, 2012, President Obama, by executive order, by executive order said, all right, we are going to set up this program for these, these younger people the people who came in as minors. And the program has many different components. It essentially says that if you've been here, if you came in as a minor during a certain period of time, if you haven't been involved in criminal activity, if you haven't left the country, um, you can you can stay. You have to go in, you have to register, and every two years you have to re-up. If you leave the country, you're not going to be allowed back. If you commit crimes, you're going to be subject to deportation. But if you came in as a minor and essentially are not creating problems, you, in fact, can stay. 
yesterday with the blessing of the president. The attorney general said we are doing away with this program and we're looking to Congress to to figure this out. um, And you've got six months to do it. And of course, there's been all this outrage. Now, there's really two issues here. First of all, the attorney general and President Trump are, in my opinion, absolutely 100 percent correct when they say we have to end this program. Why do I say it? Because I don't believe President Obama had the authority to do this in the first place. This, the, the immigration law is the immigration law. What Obama did by executive order was essentially just create out of whole cloth what he thought should be an exception to the law. Agree with him or disagree with him. As I was saying yesterday, we do not elect kings in this country. We don't have kings. We have presidents, and there's separation of powers. And you've got the judicial branch and the executive branch, and you've got the legislative branch. Um, President Obama simply did not have the authority. No president has the authority to do what he did. You might agree with the program, but it doesn't matter. He didn't have the authority to do it. And what the attorney general was saying yesterday is, hey, there's all these lawsuits out there that are challenging the authority of the president, any president, to do something like this. The attorney general said, we, we, this is not legally defensible. What Obama did was a gross overreach of his power. And the attorney general, in my opinion, is absolutely right. President Trump, mark the tape, is absolutely right. This program was unconstitutional. It was an unconstitutional and improper exercise of a presidential power that does not exist. This is the only decision I think that they could have made because they are also, I mean, there's all sorts of other challenges. This isn't the only thing that Obama did. Obama just said, hey, I can't get anything through Congress, so I'm just going to say this is the way it is. That's not what this country is all about. So the decision, and one of the things that's been frustrating to me as I've watched a lot of the coverage of what happened yesterday, is is that point gets lost. It's all, oh, these dreamers are going to be victimized. This is terrible how awful President Trump is. Well, President Trump is following, in this case, the rule of law. He is doing absolutely the right thing by saying this needs to be something that comes out of Congress. So he's right. So now the ball gets kicked back to Congress. We have a dysfunctional Congress that hasn't been able to agree on almost anything. But now this is where it's really interesting. And it's interesting for Paul Ryan. And it's interesting for Mitch McConnell. And it's interesting for all the Democrats. Because the question becomes, where do we go from here? Does Congress just simply do nothing? And then within six months, all the the people, who 800,000 people who have been part of this program, then they're subject to deportation. Or do they, in fact, do something to allow these people to stay? All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that you might disagree with me on this. I all because I, I understand the argument, Jeff. What part of illegal don't you get? These people are in the country illegally; they should be sent back. Here's how I look at it. I try to be pragmatic about this. Um, we have 11 million people who are in this country illegally. Um, of that 11 million, you've got one million, maybe more, who are the problems? People who are committing crimes. People who keep coming back in after deportation, and we have limited resources. I would like to see us concentrate our resources on, number one, border security. 
stopping people from coming in. And number two, identifying the people who are in this country illegally who are problems and concentrate on getting them out. That is why I would support some form of litig- some form of legislation which would essentially again for the people who have been in this country and are participating as part of the dreamer program would allow them to stay not as citizens not as citizens but rather as i don't know legal residents because again i don't think the problems that we're having with illegal immigration is being created by again these 800,000 people who have in certain ways, shape, and form, played by the rules. Now, I understand you could say, well, how can you say they played by the rules because they're in this country you know, illegally? But they played by the rules to the extent that if you're five years old and mom and dad decide that they're going to bring you from Mexico, for example, to, um, I don't know, Nevada, if you're five years old, you're not going to be the one that sits and says, well, no, we, we can't go. 414-799-1620. I would support some form of legislation, and it has to come from Congress, which would allow these people to continue to stay in the country, not citizens, not voting, but rather, again, because in many cases, these are people who, while they might have come from some other country, in many cases, they've been here, this is the country they know. They have grown up as Americans, even though they're not legal citizens. All right, 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's start with Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, what I was telling your call screeners, the two things I'm very concerned about, number one, uh, I don't want them to bail a boat. Yep, number two, they should not be able to collect us any type of Social Security or benefits. I, I, and then if they have a child, then also now, now their child is de facto uh, uh, a citizen of the United States, even though they're illegal. I well, think if you're a citizen of another country... And I don't care if, you, if the woman's pregnant has a child here on United States soil. That child should be a, a citizen of the country of the parents. Mm-hmm. We need to change that law. If we get rid of that law, we get rid of this this problem. I think. Well, I, I mean, I think there's a couple. I think I think there's a couple issues I, on the program yesterday. What you're talking about is birthright citizenship. It goes back to the 14th Amendment, 1868. Um, once following the Civil War, when slavery was abolished once and for all. Um, we had a constitutional amendment that made it clear that anyone – it was directed at slavery. Anybody born in the United States or naturalized citizen um, could vote. That that was what the purpose of it was because they didn't want any arguments about, well, you were a slave, you're not a citizen, you shouldn't be able to vote, all those things. Um, you shouldn't be treated as a citizen. Now, the way that has been played out over the years – now, you're right. You have a situation where you have people – Coming into the country, you have a child, that child is automatically a citizen. And I would agree with you, and legal scholars are are split as to whether or not some think you need to repeal the 14th Amendment or change it. Others say you could do it with legislation. I'm not sure one way or the other. But I agree. I think that birthright citizenship needs to be changed. But this, to me, is something distinct, and it's different than than that. These are people who came into this country as, as children, so they're not really the ones that made the conscious decision to break the law, other than the fact that they have continued to stay in this country. But again, I'm trying to be pragmatic. Um, the, the dreamers, and again, that's an interesting euphemism, they're not the ones causing the problems. If you accept my premise that we have limited resources and we can only do so much, I want to so, see those resources go into, number one, you know, 
building a wall, not the, and I thought say that figuratively, not literally, but again, tightening up the border to stop the flow of people coming into this country illegally. And number two, concentrating on getting out and keeping out the people that are causing the problems. And if any of these dreamers cause problems, if they commit a crime or something like that, boom, they're not eligible to be a dreamer anymore. They, they go. It's just, to me, a matter of resources. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Well, I would like to tie this in with a discussion you had last week about those 401Ks, how they... You know, Congress is thinking about taking away that deduction. Right. All right, we're going to raise taxes here, but we're going to cut them over here. So to me, that's just a big shell game. And that speaks to the whole issue of resources that you brought up twice now already. Mm -hmm. We don't have the resources to take care of everybody. And Jeff Sessions' speech yesterday was absolutely perfect. It was right on the money. So now I'm going to drag Paul Ryan into this. He wants to bloviate about, he knows more about this deficit in the $20 trillion. He's going to fix all these problems. Well, this, he can get started with this now because this is a big drain on our, on our deficit. And all the taxpayers wanted this straightened out, the people who are paying the freight. And yet Paul Ryan has already sided with Barack Obama on this. So I'm beginning to think that maybe Mr. Ryan isn't the guy to be running this Congress anymore because, you know, he came in with all these qualifications, but every time something big like this comes up, I just see him kicking the can down the road here. Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, Sam, what what ends up happening because, I mean, th- this is a this is a huge issue, and Congress has six months to get its act together. Now, I understand a tweet last night. You know, President Trump said, "Well, all right, if Congress doesn't do anything in six months, I will revisit this." Well, I hope he doesn't, because again, to me, to me, this is about the rule of law. What Barack Obama did, agree with it or disagree with the policy. He didn't have the authority to do it. And I do agree with you, Sam. Congress needs to get its act together. Now, I have sympathy for Paul Ryan, who I've known for years and years, because trying to work with this Congress is like trying to herd cats. You've got almost no Democratic support. But this is something that it would seem to me that you should reach, you should be able to reach across the aisles for. Now, I understand the trick box that President Trump has put some Republicans, because you have Republican Party that is split. You have the people who are the conservatives, like myself, who are more pragmatic, and I, I want to use that term, and who, who just are arguing, look, we need to concentrate our resources on other things, that this is not the, the fight to have. These 800,000 people aren't causing the problems, versus some of the more hardliners on immigration who say, what part of illegal don't you understand? And this is this is a split in the party, and, and Trump has caused that. But at the same time, Congress needs to get its act together, and maybe this is an opportunity to once again um, you know, reach across the aisle and see if there are uh, – there should be widespread Democratic support. This isn't like – this isn't like repealing Obamacare, where you have to, you need every single Republican vote to get it done. There's a lot of Democrats that should be wanting to do this as well. Will that happen? Don't know. Big story number three is coming up. The Milwaukee streetcar and some interesting developments last night. Stick around. It's 921. This is Jeff Wagner. Drive home with John. The video of a Utah nurse being dragged out of a hospital has gone viral. One expert says the nurse is at fault. Details at 4.50 this afternoon. Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John Mercure on 620 WTMJ. Hey, the weather is pretty nice right now, but... 
Summer is ending, fall season, holidays, everything's going to be here before you know it. Now, for me, the holidays mean family and friends, decorations, holiday parties, family get-togethers, and those special memories of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, the backdrop for special memories a lot of times is going to be your home. If you are concerned about the way your home looks, if it needs a facelift, well, the people to call are the good folks at Serta Pro Painters. They can help your home on the inside transition from drab to spectacular. Now, look, make sure the holidays at your house are memorable. Make them even more special by calling the good folks at Serta Pro Painters. They can do a great job repainting the interior of your house. They will arrive on time. They'll maintain a clean work environment. They'll clean up when they're done, and they'll respect your family and your pets. Now is the best time to transform your home for the upcoming fall and holiday seasons. Don't wait. Call now. 800-GO-CERTA. That's CERTA with a C. 800-G-O-C-E-R-T-A. Or visit CERTAPRO.com. At CERTA Pro Painters, they say, we do painting, you do life. Each CERTA Pro Painters business is independently owned and operated. Nine twenty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. This whole the whole debate about what you do with the so-called dreamers. It's interesting. It's playing out in all the different texts I'm getting. Let's see. I have one here. I say, let them stay. The country was founded on immigration. If they deport all of the dreamers, you might as well deport everyone except for um, Native Americans. Uh, Dan writes, dreamers are divided into three groups. Those who arrived as small children are law-abiding citizens. Two, those who arrived as small children and have criminal records. And three, those who flooded in after Obama announced his dreamer decision. Congress should try to accommodate the first group, but the second two groups should leave. Well, at least my understanding is that if you have a criminal record, you're not eligible to be a dreamer, but I stand to be corrected on that. And then somebody else says, you're right, Jeff, 100%. Let him stay um, with legislation. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in Congress. Big story number three, the Milwaukee streetcar, and and I which, for those of you who might be, if you're new to the program, the Milwaukee streetcar, Tom's Trolley Folly, continues to be, to me, one of the most absolutely ridiculous, short-sighted, ill-considered pieces of public policy I have ever seen, and that is saying a lot. Um, Tom Barrett, for whatever reason, has decided he wants his legacy to be a, a, a trolley system that is now being installed in downtown Milwaukee. If you try to go to downtown Milwaukee, good luck. Pretty much anywhere east of the river, you can't get there from here. The streets are being torn up. There's all this. They're moving utilities. Um, it, it's just, it's almost impassable. I don't know what it's, I actually, there was a restaurant I was trying to go to the other night. I couldn't get there. I ended up giving up because I wasn't going to walk four or five blocks to try to get to the, the location. But this is the first phase of the streetcar, the 1.9 mile streetcar line that goes really nowhere from the bus depot to the Lower East Side. But that's not Barrett's goal. Barrett understands that the streetcar isn't going to have any degree of ridership because it doesn't go anywhere. So what he wants to do is he wants to expand it throughout the city. Let's run it to other places, then you'll get riders. Problem is, that is going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars to, to do. I mean, this first 1.9-mile streetcar line was like, what, over $100 million? So where is the dough going to come to for that? In addition, nobody 
Nobody argues that there's going to be enough people that ride it to make this thing self-sufficient. You are going to have to have taxpayer subsidies to underwrite this yuppie people mover. And I do wonder how people in the inner city of Milwaukee on the northwest side are going to feel when they find out that their tax dollars are being used to, okay, move a bunch of 20-somethings from one bar to another on a Friday night on the Lower East Side. In any event, buried in this legislation that went through joint finance and will be signed um, into law is that Milwaukee is going to be prohibited from spending any state transportation aid money to operate the streetcar. So in other words, the operating costs can't come from state dollars. In addition, the city of Milwaukee TIF districts, these tax incremental financing districts, and Milwaukee County are not entitled to fund the operation of the streetcar. You can still use TIF district money to build an expansion, but as far as operating it, you're not going to be able to draw into either the TIF district money or use taxpayer money for doing this. Now, this may or may not stop the streetcar expansion, but what we will guarantee is that even if you spend hundreds of millions of dollars more to try to expand it, you're not going to be able to operate it because unless the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee are willing to pick up the millions of dollars that it is going to cost to run, uh, to operate an expanded streetcar line, and if the city of Milwaukee taxpayers do that, I I guess you you get what you, you deserve if you've got money to do that. But this while it doesn't directly kill the streetcar expansion, by limiting where the operating funds can come from, you really put Milwaukee aldermen in a trick box because try explaining to your constituents in the inner city, try explaining to your constituents on the northwest side or the southwest side why your tax dollars. We don't have enough money for cops, but we do have money to pay operating costs on the yuppie people mover. Um, This is something that I think really is going to cause a lot of heartache for members of the Common Council because they're going to have to decide, are we going to get on this trolley with the mayor, who's probably not going to be around for more than another term anyways, and just drive off a cliff, or are we going to stand up for our constituents? That's big story number three. This is a buried story, but it's got big impact on the future expansion of the streetcar. It's 929. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.36, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Brewers coming up at 11 o'clock, an early start in Cincinnati. They need to get back on track. They're still in the hunt for a playoff spot, but you can't keep losing games, and especially it's even more troubling if they're playing really bad games. All right. Um, Late last week, what, on Friday, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, after a tumultuous tenure, announced that he was resigning essentially immediately. I have... I have explained my views on on Sheriff Clark. Um, I, I think there, there's really there's two David Clarks. There was the first ten or twelve years where I thought he was, while combative, I thought he was a, a breath of fresh air, somebody who came into the community um, in a leadership role, who was saying things that needed to be said. He was willing to challenge political orthodoxy. I under he was willing to take on. 
again, take on a lot of the, the powers that existed and say, hey, this is wrong. He said things that needed to be said. I, I understand that he was combative. I understand that he was thin-skinned. I understand that he picked fights. But again, I think for that first 10 or 12 years, I think he was a breath of fresh air. Then I, I think what happened is he got bored with the job. His He got tired with the fights with the county executive and fighting with the county board. Lord knows you can understand that. And he just... I don't know whether it was boredom or whether he outgrew the job or whatever. I, I think the last couple years, um, as he's become more and more of a national figure, I think he was just punched out on the job of the sheriff. I mean, I just think he just he got tired. He wasn't doing the job, and um, I, I think that was unfortunate. So that's why, I mean, I see David Clark's legacy in two separate sections. Again, the, the first 10 years or so, and then, you know, the, the, the aftermath, the last couple. And I view the first several years as being positive the last couple is being you know less so that the acting sheriff i think he struck the the right tone yesterday he has this press conference where he essentially it's very clear he's going to be low-key he's going to be all right at least while he's in the job he's going to try to balance the budget get control of the jail those types of of things and i think it's it's going to be a good pause after the tumult of the last few years well, there was a lot of stuff that people were thinking about. Where where is David Clark, you know, going to go? Is he going to be, you know, a commentator on on one of the the national cable channels? Is he going to run for office? Is he going to take a high profile job in the Trump administration? And the answer we now know is no, no, and no. What he's doing is he's taking a job at. It's what's described as, as a pro-Trump super political action committee. Actually, that, that's not technically correct because this um, America First Action really isn't a, a super PAC. It, it's, it's, the, the way it's organized is it doesn't have to disclose its donors. It's organized under a, another part of, of the law. But it sort of operates as a super PAC. And this is, in some respects, it is Trump's equivalent of what organizing for America was for Obama. Um, A handful or maybe a lot of donors contribute money, and they use this PAC to advance support candidates who are sympathetic to Donald Trump, and they use it to uh, support Trump policies. David Clark left the sheriff's office to be a senior advisor and a spokesman for this group which guarantees that he will you know get a lot of face time on some of the the cable tv channels but but essentially he's going to be one of the front guys for this political action committee or quasi political action committee 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line Ever since this was formally announced, and this was rumored for several days, but ever since this was formally announced, I I admit to thinking, it seems to me that the sheriff is sort of leaving town not with a bang, but with a whimper. I I don't know what the future was going to hold for Sheriff Clark, but I admit I'm a little surprised that this is the best he could do. And I, I don't know how well other other to say that. I mean, and I, I understand that it's got a, a profile sort of position, but you've really, you know, tied your you know horse to the Donald Trump wagon. You are essentially really just going to be a spokesperson for this pro-Trump group. You're not going to be involved in in policy making 
really. You're just going to be advocating for Trump positions. You're you're just a, a spokesperson. And I guess I'm a little bit surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I thought Clark I thought Clark was perhaps destined for bigger things than this. Are you surprised that he took this gig? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, given all the talk that was out there about all the different potential big jobs or things that were there, he's going to be a spokesperson essentially for a political action committee. Admittedly, it's probably going to contribute to a profile, and he'll be able to go around and do all sorts of speaking and things like that. For some reason, I thought Clark had bigger aspirations than this. It seems to me he is settling. And maybe maybe that's unfair, but it sure seems like that to me. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would describe this as leaving town not with a bang, but with a whimper. 414-799-1620, are you surprised that this is what he ended up doing? We discuss next. It's 942. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. David Clark has been one of the most prominent and polarizing local local officials since, you know, he took over essentially as the Milwaukee County Sheriff back in 2002. He abruptly resigned on Friday, although a lot of us, I think, have argued that he's been kind of punched out of the job for quite a while now. And he, he didn't go to a powerful job in government. He didn't go to a powerful job in broadcasting. He's going to be the spokesperson for, you know, one of the Trump-supporting political quasi-political action committees. Is this leaving town with Kind of a whimper as opposed to a bang. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I agree with you. It's, it, 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 it's kind of uh, going out of town backwards. Uh, you know, uh, Don, uh, David Clark was one of the first supporters of uh, of uh, Donald Trump in, in his presidency. And he and, and we know in the county that he spent a lot of time and, and political capital trying to get Donald Trump elected. And I and to uh, be in part of a Donald Trump's cabinet and, and, and in a position in, in, in Donald Trump's cabinet or something. So uh, yeah. this is surprising that he's going to end up being just a shield man for, for this, this, like you say, this quasi-pact. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of, I mean, again, when, when you think of about a lot of the stuff that people were talking about what is David Clark's next career step going to be? Is he is he going to run for governor? Is he going to challenge Tammy Baldwin for Senate? Is he going to run for mayor? Is he going to take on a prominent role in the Trump administration? And he's a senior advisor and a spokesperson for a political action committee, which is essentially, well, I mean, it's just, it's I mean, it'll keep his face out in public, but to what end? I mean, how many people who are spokespersons for political action committees normally that's where you land after you've right. like been a press secretary or something right and and, and david clark to me is uh, you know i voted for him twice and uh you know but the fact is he's always been to me an alpha dog that he's always been this kind of guy who's on the front i don't i don't see how he lasts long in this in this position that he's taken well 
Um, well, I see, I, you know, it's interesting, Vincent, because when they were originally talking about him taking some job with Homeland Security, I, that was the one. I, first of all, it, it needed Senate approval, and, and he's just too much, of, he's too much of a lightning rod to get Senate approval. That's just the reality. But secondly, that, that a lot of the jobs in government are, are bureaucratic jobs, and whatever Sheriff Clark's strengths and weaknesses are, He's not great, you know. I mean, I can't see him sitting in a desk in Washington, you know, coordinating, you know, uh, who's who's going to get, you know, what sort of surplus materials with some local sheriff and wherever. That that's just not David Clark's strong point. But I thought maybe a, a higher position than just sitting at a desk that he could have been part of the think tank that uh, yeah. surrounds himself with. But uh, obviously, uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't for him. So, but uh, I, it's unusual that he took this job. So yeah. So you would you would agree that this is kind of a it's it's not necessarily that career uptick that maybe we thought David Clark was going to get five or ten years ago. No. So I hope yeah. he gets paid well. Oh, thank, well, I'm sure. Thanks. I, I'm sure that the. Um, I'm sure that he he will be well paid. I guess I, it's just see this is what happens also sometimes when you, especially for public figures and political jobs, it's what happens when you stay too long at, at the rodeo. I, I think that there were maybe there were maybe opportunities that Sheriff Clark had had to leave that he he didn't he didn't if, if he would have left earlier maybe there would have been uh, again more opportunities that are there because i do think as i've said this before i, I think the last couple of years have ended up hurting his legacy there's just no no way to say that if, if you talk to my friend former governor tommy thompson he will tell you that you know he he made a, a run for president um back when when george bush was running for president and, and he'll tell you that that his timing was all off um if he was going to do that he should have done it earlier and and he didn't and he ended up waiting you know too long and in some respects his time has passed you know there was this opportunity that he had when he was this up-and-coming reform governor of the state of wisconsin and then i I think he and he'll tell you that he just it it was it was the wrong time he would say that he was going to run for president he perhaps should have done it maybe four years earlier timing is everything in politics it's why it's so difficult to predict political things you can sit here again in september of 2017 and you can say you know with certainty you know what's going to happen in november of 2018 with the congressional elections or whatever and the truth is you don't nobody does who would have predicted you know that donald trump would have won the presidency last year stuff is very very volatile and things Things happen, dynamics happen, and things change. And I think uh, David Clark, candidly, probably you know, stayed way too long at the rodeo. And now you're going to see him on national TV, and he's going to be America's former sheriff, but emphasize former. It's 952. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A lot of stuff coming up on today's program, including a teacher who links people wearing Trump apparel to Nazis. Hmm, stick around. It's 9.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. The video of a Utah nurse being dragged out of a hospital has gone viral. Some are saying that the nurse herself is to blame for the incident. John McCure explores and has the details at 4.50. Be sure to tune in during Wisconsin's afternoon news. All right, uh, the big dominant story of, of this week 
is not going to be a political story. It's going to be what happens with this Hurricane um, Irma, which is now in the Caribbean. Interestingly, only three Category 5, and hurricanes are ranked on a scale of like 1 to 5, only five Category 5 hurricanes have ever hit the United States. And um, Category 5, to be a Category 5 hurricane, you, you have to have winds of 157 miles or or greater. Um, the, the categories of hurricanes, it's interesting. It's not defined. It's defined solely by wind speed. It doesn't take into account storm angle, surge, heavy rain, or barometric pressure. I mean, one of the reasons that Hurricane um, Harvey you know, did so much damage, it wasn't just the winds. But normally what happens in a hurricane is it moves quickly. So it hits, it causes destruction, but it moves on. What was unique about Hurricane Harvey wasn't just the, the wind speed, which was really bad, but it was the fact that there was just that drenching rain. It just stayed in place and dumped 30, 40, 50 inches of rain in these different areas, which is one of the reasons it made it so, so catastrophic. Um, Hurricane Irma, they don't know where it's going to make landfall, if it even is going to make. They don't know where in the continental U.S. it's going to make landfall. This is different than Harvey, though, because this is a fast-moving one. It is more in the line of some of the traditional hurricanes. It's going to hit. It's going to cause devastation, but then it's going to move on. It's not going to stay over at Miami or Key West or whatever and dump 30 or 40 inches of rain. That said... This looks like it is going to be an absolute nightmare. It, it is the real one, and they don't know, again, what the track is going to be. Some of the reports this morning, some of the new computer models, having the hurricane essentially turning right a little bit earlier than some of the other models do, which would mean it would make landfall probably further up the East Coast, perhaps skipping Florida. But at the same time, a lot of the other models say, hey, this is just going to hit in central Florida. It's essentially going to hit at the, in the center of Florida. It's going to hit Key West. It's going to hit Miami, and it's just going to go up the, the center of the state. Um, regardless, one of the decisions that people have to make now is, you know, do you stay or do you go? Now, it was an interesting, you know, with, with Hurricane Harvey, you know, we had that conversation. There weren't mandatory evacuation orders that were issued, and a lot of people in the Corpus Christi and Galveston and Houston area, I think, wished that they, they had left. Here it is, what, Wednesday. You don't know for sure where the storm track is coming, but I will say this. If I, and Key West is one of my favorite places in the U.S., if I was... If I was living in Key West or I was living in Miami or I was living anywhere, particularly along the, the east coast of Florida, that would be one of the occasions where I would be packing up. I'd be packing up the wife. I'd be packing up the dog. I'd be packing up the kids. And I'd be packing up, well, a couple weeks worth of uh, provisions and clothing. And, and I would be heading out, hoping hoping against hope that the hurricane does take that right turn and at least miss where I'm living but there, there's no way I'd want to be surfing during this hurricane. I, I just flat out wouldn't want to do it. It will be interesting to me to see whether people bail, and particularly in some of these highly vulnerable areas like, like Key West, which is pretty much as far as you can get south in the continental U.S. on the East Coast. Um, n- no way I'd be riding out the hurricane there. Uh, but some people make that decision. Hopefully this is going to miss them all, but at least a lot of the forecasts suggest no. All right, when we come back... The state overpays workers. It now wants the dough back 
Do they have a case? We'll discuss. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Okay, a lot of ground to cover in this hour. Plus, we're also going to introduce you, um, at least on this program, to one of uh, our new additions here at WTMJ Radio. That's coming up. Okay, here, here's the deal. Let me back into the story. A few weeks ago, we, we got a, a notice from our um, human resources person that um, there had been an error in payroll. What What happens is... Um, okay, for, for example, for, for me, there's, I, I get my regular, I get, a, I get a salary, and then there's, there's things that you can do, you get some extra compensation for certain things, and it, it just, it kind of depends, it doesn't matter what that stuff is, but it, it's a little bit extra, and, and typically, you know, it finds its way onto checks. So, I get this notice saying, hey, um, payroll screwed up, and somehow, they, they double paid you for your extras. You were supposed to get $200, they gave you 400 or, or whatever that, that would be. Okay, so they made a mistake on your paycheck, and what they're going to do is they're going to take that, that $200 that you overpaid, they're going to take it back on the next check, to which I say, sure. I mean, I, I get it. I, I understand. It was clearly, you can see what happened. They just, they double-counted some stuff. It was a mistake. Of course, you know, take it back, no problem. All right, so that's the way they handle it. Well, it's kind of different with the State Department of Corrections. Here's the story, and the Journal Sentinel is reporting it. The Wisconsin Department of Corrections this summer determined it had overpaid a dozen employees and asked them to pay back more than $39,000 combined. Huh. So it sounds like this wasn't just gee, we made this mistake in calculating your particular check. So now I'm intrigued. Seven of the 12 employees, this is the Journal Sentinel story, resigned, including one who was told she owed nearly $15,000 for pay going back two and a half years. The five who remained are making arrangements to return what state officials consider to be overpayments. So now I'm really intrigued by the story. So they were overpaying. I I mean, look, in our particular case, Somebody made a mistake in payroll. They double-counted this one thing. They caught it immediately. But in this case, the state, at least it says, it was overpaying somebody for two and a half years. So now I'm, I'm intrigued by this situation. All right, so here's, here's apparently what happened. There were employees who retired from the correctional system. So they retired. But then they were hired back as temporary workers. You know, that's what happens sometimes. You retire, but then they'll they'll hire you back. So this one woman retired from Tachita Correctional Institution, that's the woman's prison, but came back as a temporary worker in 2015 to help the prison reduce the overtime costs. So the prison figured rather than paying existing full-time people time and a half for overtime, we'll hire some of these people who retired. We'll hire them back. Although considered a temporary employee, she was able to work there steadily. She was initially paid $28 an hour, but then saw that reduced to $20 an hour. In August, she was brought into the warden's office and told the department should have been paying her $16 or less an hour for the past two and a half years. 
She said she was say, told that she could stay on at the lower rate and pay the department back $14,500 or immediately quit. She said, I'm not paying you back. I worked hard for you know this money. She resigned, as did six other temporary employees um, confronted with the same situation. Apparently, the Department of Corrections decided that state policy says former employees can only get $16 an hour. All right. So let, let's back up on this. They hire this woman. She retires. And I understand that there's some people who don't think the state government, once you retire, you shouldn't go back and work for the government. I, I, I understand that. But that's not the way it works now. She retires. They hire her back as a temporary worker. They tell her, we're going to pay you $25 an hour. She says, great. She works. And she works, and they pay her $25 an hour. Then they say, okay, we, we figured out we're overpaying you. Um, we're only going to pay you $20 an hour. She says, okay, fine. She continues working. This goes on for two and a half years until they then say, hey, we've now determined that you know we can only pay you $16 an hour. So your current wage is going to be 16 bucks, but we expect you to pay us the difference between, I guess, the $16 and what we've been paying you, the $28, over the last two years. We expect you to pay that back. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is ridiculous. And in all honesty, I wonder how legal this is. Um, it, it's not like the department made a an error in calculating the woman's paycheck. She was hired and promised that she would be paid $26 an hour. And then later on, that was reduced to $20 an hour. To try to go back and say, you owe us for, all right, it, so some bureaucrat hires her at a, an impermissible rate. All right, we, we make the mistake. We should have hired her for 16 not 28 or, or whatever. To go back and say, hey, we want you to give us this money back that you were earning that we promised we would pay you two years ago, I, I think is absolutely ridiculous. And actually, to threaten them to say that you've got no choice but to resign or pay us this back, I think that is ridiculous as well. And I seriously question how legal this policy is. I mean, that's, again, I understand you make a mistake. You make an error in calculating somebody's wage. You double pay them or whatever. Of course, you would expect the person to pay that money back. You got the same money twice. But if WTMJ or your employer, WTMJ, if, if you know, we hire my producer, my producer BD, and say, okay, BD, here's the deal. You're getting $15 an hour. That's it. And then we whistle him in a year later and say, you know what? Um, we found out we weren't entitled to pay you. We weren't really supposed to pay you that $15 an hour. We were only supposed to pay you $10 an hour. So give us back all that money we paid you over the last year. You'd say, go jump in the lake or things like that. And to say, well, if you don't do that, you're going to lose your job. All right, this is, look, I'm not all into throwing around taxpayer money frivolously, but this is a problem with the bureaucrats in the Department of Correction who screwed up. It shouldn't It shouldn't come at the expense of the employees who were told, apparently, this is how much money you're getting. 414-799-1620. Clint in Bayview. Clint, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, this is unreal. And, and like you, I don't even understand how this could possibly be legal. Um, one of my main issues with this is that 
you know, especially for the people, you know, where it's gone back a couple of years, they've been taxed sure. at the $25 an hour sure. rate. So, okay, let's say, you know, they were only supposed to get 16 Well, you're taxing their $16 at the $25. Sure. That is so unfair. And, and quite honestly, I'm not a legal person. I don't understand how that possibly be legal. Right, right, exactly. It's not like, and again, that, that's why I started off the story by, by saying it's, it's not like they made an error in calculation or whatever. They said, hey, come to work for us. We'll pay you $26 an hour. Well, somebody screwed up when they made that offer, but she worked. You know, she worked for two years, and that's what they said her rate of pay was, to go back and say, well, we've decided we don't have the legal authority to pay you that, so now we want the money back or you're going to lose your job. That that's that just strikes me, again, apart from the legalities, it's just not right. It's fair to say, okay, moving forward, we found out we're only going to pay you $16, but she should be able to keep that dough. To go after her for $14,000 strikes me as being wrong. Absolutely wrong. And, and, you know, like I said, there's the tax issue. And like you just mentioned, I mean, that to me, you know, as a non-legal person, just, uh, you know, listening to that, that sounds like breach of contract. You know, you told someone yeah. that you were going to pay them a certain amount for their service or, you know, yeah. their work. And now you're trying to roll that back. That's unbelievable. No, it, it is. I mean, thanks for calling. And what they ended up doing is, is so they ended up forcing out. They said, okay, if, if you don't pay us the money back, I, I don't get the sense they're going to try to sue them for the back for what they say was an overpayment. I don't even consider this to be an overpayment. Like I say, what happened to me a couple paychecks ago, yes, that was an overpayment. They made a mistake. I don't have any legitimate claim to say I'm going to keep it. But again, you hire somebody, you say, all right, we're going to pay you $26 an hour, and then you find out, well, we were only supposed to pay you 16 Too bad, so sad. That That's that that's the fault of the bureaucracy or the bureaucrat or whatever. It's not the fault of the employee. Am I missing something? John in Green Bay. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I totally agree. It's uh, you know, it's a uh, somebody a bureaucrat makes a mistake and then the individual that's doing the work has to uh, cover their mistake. The other thing I guess is is that by saying you know you have to pay it back. Uh, the job's worth $16, or assuming she would have taken it for $16. Yes, maybe, yeah. Maybe she wouldn't have. No, so it makes no sense at but, all. Right, no, you, you raise a good point. I, I, exactly. I mean... You know, there, there's all sorts of things that, you know, we, we make the decisions on. You're, you're exactly right. If they would have said, hey, we need you to help us out with this overtime. Come on back. We're going to pay you $16 an hour. She might have said, no, it's not worth $16 an hour. You pay me $28 an hour. It's, it's worth it. How can you go back and demand that money? I mean, this is, it, it's a screw up. Maybe some heads should roll. I'd be curious as to who made the mistake in the first place. But to go back and say, okay, for two and a half years, we've overpaid you. And unless you give us this money back we're going to fire you that's that's it is unbelievable to me that the department of corrections could be that screwed up no yeah, that, I, I agree but it's, it's it's you know it's government at its finest um th- thanks for the call um let's see dan and milton texts what about the tax implications and justice in previous tax returns even if it was accepted i personally think the employee should not have to pay for this it doesn't make any sense no it 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 doesn't. Um, Randy texts, those that made the mistake should be the ones that make up the difference. Well, good luck with that. Dan sends me a text. She worked in good faith at the higher rate. Had she been told she would make less, perhaps she might have decided not to take the job. I know it wouldn't happen in a bureaucracy, but perhaps discipline for whoever made the mistake. Yeah, that th- those that you know that that's the type of stuff that's out there. And I, I mean, I under- mistakes happen. 
I, I get it. But sometimes it seems to me as the employer, you just you just have to eat the costs. You got this good faith deal unless there is some suggestion. And I don't get that from any of the stories I'm seeing that she knew that she was, you know, not being not entitled to be paid what she was paid. But I don't believe that that's the case for any of these employees. I mean, I, you know, my God, the bureaucracy is so screwed up. I I just I I can't imagine you're going in and you retire as a prison guard or whatever role that she played at the prison. And you have the employer says, okay, we want you to come back to help us uh, alleviate the overtime costs. We're giving you twenty eight dollars an hour. I I can't believe it would be the employee which would be expected to say, well, you know, under statute, I'm only entitled to or state policy. I'm only entitled to 16 bucks. This is um, it's just it's bizarre. It's wrong. I seriously question. And again, I'm not I, I don't. I, I don't play an employment lawyer, invo- public sector employment lawyer on the radio, but I, I just I, I wonder how this can even be legal. I mean, I I do now. I guess because they're temporary employees, you can you can let them go, you can fire them for any reason or no reason. But to demand the money back and say you're going to lose your job if you don't give it back to us, that that does not sound right to me. Whether it's legal or not, I don't know, but it sure doesn't sound right. Ten twenty one, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. It's 1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Um, I understand that there are people who can't believe that Hillary Clinton lost. I understand that there are people who think it's the end of the world, that Donald Trump is the president of the United States. But at the same time, the reactions of some people are just so incredibly over the top. There's a story that's been out there. Um, late last week, it involved. It's a high school in Georgia, and there's a couple of kids who come to school wearing pro-Trump, pro-Trump, pro-Trump T-shirts in class. They, and, and they're not controversial. They got an American flag, and they say "Make America Great." Okay. All right, now can I see a show of hands? Anybody opposed to making America great? No, not not me. Not too many people there. So they've got this high school math teacher. And this gets captured in video because everybody's got cell phones nowadays. And so when she starts in on these kids, it, it somebody pulls out their phone and starts videoing it. So which is should be an object lesson to teachers to teachers everywhere. But the kids are wearing the, the Make America Great T-shirts. By the way, there's no policy in this high school that stops kids from being able to wear like like political T-shirts. There's not. It's not like there's a dress code. There, there's no rule against this. So the kids are sitting in this woman's math class wearing these T-shirts, and she she throws them out. She says, you are going to have to leave. And um, the, the kids say, well, you know, what do you mean? What, what have I done? Why do I have to leave? And she says, you cannot wear, just like you cannot wear a swastika to school, you cannot wear a Make America Great Again T-shirt. Um, at which point in time the kids say, wait. She says, well, you can turn the T-shirts inside out, and then you can stay. But but otherwise, you know, you have to make sure these slogans are not visible because just like you can't wear a swastika, you can't wear this. Um, the teacher added, if you're not going to do that, please go at least for this class. I don't care what you do in other classes. Then, and this is captured on the video, uh, another student stands up and says, okay, 
you know, you mean you're, you're throwing them out because they've got the Make America Great sweatshirt? And she says, because it says Make America Great, the neo-Nazis, I'm not saying about Trump, but the slogan. So this idiot teacher decides that in her mind, the Make America Great slogan equates to neo-Nazis and it equates to the swastika. Now, I understand, again, like I said starting this, that people um, – Donald Trump brings out strong emotions in people. But at the same time, just like I think oftentimes when we use analogies to Hitler and things like that, we go way over the top, and that's why people need to be really careful about it. I mean, here you have two kids that show up wearing a pro-Trump T-shirt, and you have this teacher, and this is a high school math teacher, who decides, well, gee, I think if you're wearing a pro-Trump T-shirt, that equates to Nazis. Um, The kids, in my opinion, did nothing wrong. And I seriously question whether or not the teacher should be in a public school classroom if she is this unhinged. Once this story got out, once it became vir- went viral, um, the superintendent issued a public apology for the teacher's behavior, noted that pro-Trump shirts are not a violation of the district's dress code. She said the teacher was wrong. The shirts are not a violation of any problems. And we're sorry that this incident happened. Um You know, it does not reflect our belief that students need to be treated equally and respectfully by our employees. I guess my question becomes is what do you do moving forward? Because what about these kids? Or what about the other kids that might go into the classroom, you know, wearing similar type of slogans or whatever? How are they going to be treated by the teacher who obviously thinks that these kids are the equivalent of white supremacists or neo-Nazis because they unlike her, support the President of the United States. To me, this really shouldn't be the end of the story. The question becomes, what do you do with the teacher who is so whacked out on this? And again, I understand you cannot like Donald Trump. Lots of people don't like Donald Trump. But to say that anybody that supports Donald Trump is a white supremacist or a neo-Nazi, really? Come on, get a grip. It's 1028. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Brewers baseball on early start today. Um, coverage at 11 o'clock. They need to pick up this game. Matt Garza on the mound. We will see. Well, if you have been listening to the station over the last couple of days, you have heard a, a voice which is uh, new to WTMJ, but a delightful addition. And we're so well, happy to welcome Melissa Barkley to WTMJ. Hello, well, hello, Melissa. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for having me on your show and a- doing a little introduction. A- absolutely. <laughs> now, you, um, you're you going to be the co-anchor of, you are the co-anchor of Wisconsin's Afternoon News. So you've drawn the short star- straw. you got to partner with McCure. I do. <laughs> Well, I don't know if that's the short straw. Yeah, I, he's so me. pleasant and so nice to work with that I feel so blessed to be here. Everyone's laughing. Come oh, on, my come goodness on. gracious. Monster <laughs> eye rolls there. Aww. You know, that's it. Um, okay, tell me a little bit, Melissa, about 
you know what you're going to be on doing on the show and and the types of things that really interest you sure. and how they're going to impact our listeners well i really would love to bring uh, medical issues to the forefront i think women's medical issues just medical issues in general um i love human interest stories um i love movies um just kind of maybe some of the lighter side but also some of the serious side with uh, with doing news i'm a newsie so mm-hmm. you know like i like to know what's going on and i like to be able to uh bring that across on the air to listeners because everyone's life's so busy so it's nice to have someone do that for you right <laughs> yeah let's talk a little bit about your journalism background because i know it's extensive it is uh well i've been in journalism for quite a few years um i graduated from uh, a college out east on the east coast with a communication arts degree i'm very proud of that because i graduated when i was um, a little bit older so 33 i walked across that stage with 20 something year olds so <laughs> it was pretty amazing yeah yeah uh, okay, I'm thirty. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that you're thirty-three now. You graduated no. when you no. I did, oh, yeah. Outstanding. So I'm a big fan of people that go and like live their dream, and you're never too old to really do what you want to do. So, but but I've been in radio for twenty years, so it's really great, uh, great to be here. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because when I after I got out of college, I, I got through college in like three and a half years and w- was working, and I, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Now, look, you know, I did that for 15 or right. 17 or 18 years, and this is where I've been for the last 20. But I, I remember there were people who offered me jobs, saying, okay, look, d- d- put off going to law school. Just don't go to law school here. Uh-huh. You know, work at this. And there was that temptation because you're making money. But I was always afraid that if I did that, I, I wouldn't go back. So, I mean, I just directly transitioned in. Um, I have a lot of respect for people who are able to say, okay, stop, I'm going to go back, and this is, I'm going to follow my dream. You know, and it's really hard because once life starts trucking along, it's hard to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and say, you know what, this is going to be a priority. But in the long run, once it's finished, it is the most uh, amazing feeling to have accomplished something like that. So I give people credit. Uh, going back to school online, that's a big thing now as well. So. Okay, you said you're a movie fan. Now, you're, you're talking to the resonance station, you know, movie aficionado. Oh, movie junkie. Oh, no. Um, oh, absolutely. Okay, so, so so give me your top two. I, I won't limit you oh to just gosh. one. Give, give one or two movies. I'm actually, I'm more of a music fan, but I do love movies, and I'm really excited about the movie It coming out, so I'm excited to talk oh, the, about that. The, 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 the Stephen, Stephen Clown, King, yeah, Stephen that King one, clown that movie. Okay. be good. Uh, top movies, my gosh. You know what? I That is so hard to do. Um, I'm trying to think about my collection that I have at home. Um Gosh, I See, love I love Under the Tuscan Sun. That has oh, Diane Lane. I okay. absolutely I can watch that on any day of the week. I love that movie. Um, I love Chocolat with Johnny Depp uh-huh. and Juliette Binoche. I love uh, I love that movie. Oh, you're in the hip and trendy sort of well, stuff there. I mean, okay, those are a little bit older. They're you know yeah, from nothing, nothing, years back. Nothing wrong with that. You okay. probably like the classics, right? Well, I mean, I mean, you, I, you can't go wrong with a good Casablanca. No. I'm a huge Humphrey Bogart <laughs> fan. But actually, I was I was actually telling the audience, um, there's this little movie that was nominated for a bunch of Oscars last year that's now making the rounds of of pay per of, of like HBO and Cinemax and stuff like that. Um, Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges and mm. Christopher Pine. Outstanding. People really? should watch it. Okay. All right. Now. You are also, I know, a sports fan, particularly a football fan. So let's talk about that. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, and I love them. I love Clay Matthews. I interviewed him uh, one time, and that was probably the most nervous I've ever been. <laughs> Interviewing someone because he's so gorgeous, you know, and he's, you know, <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, oh, that's okay. horrible, right? <laughs> uh, okay, the, my producer, the big dog, and he's I, like we're just laughing. kind of both, well, that. I just of all the words that you know we would use to describe Clay Matthews, gorgeous wouldn't be one of them. But that's all right. <laughs> that's well, probably you know. good all around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so, yeah. It. Big Packers fan. Um, outstanding. And when you are not, see, I, I think one of the things uh, about radio is that 
um, a, a lot of us, we, we bring our lives, you know, to the job and you share it. It's one of the great things about radio. It's such a personal medium. So when you are not on the air, what are some of the things that we're going to find Melissa doing around the Milwaukee area? That's a great question, Jeff. I love checking out local restaurants. Um, I love running on trails and running road races. So that's a big thing. I did one half marathon in my life and I would love to do a lot more. And I know they have quite a few around here. So um, being outside nature trails, stuff like that. Melissa Barkley, welcome to WTMJ. Welcome to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We have to mark the tape uh, there, BD. We'll have to ask her, like, six months from now, we'll have to whistle her in and see if she still thinks John McCure is just the cat's, oh, no. <laughs> cat's meow. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> nothing but good things. Yeah. No, nothing but good things. Well, we'll put that to the test. <laughs> Melissa, welcome to WTMJ. Thank you very much. So when we come back, well, a lot of stuff on the program, including junk gas. Be careful what you buy at the pumps. It's 1041. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Melissa seems like she is a delightful person. Don't really know her that well. She's going to be a great addition to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. It's Milwaukee's final game of the season in Cincinnati, and we've got it for you later this morning. It's coming up. As a matter of fact, just a couple minutes. It's Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle. They begin our coverage of the matinee between the Brewers and the Reds at 11 o'clock here on WTMJ. I get to make an early departure, which is good because... I've got a golf outing I'm scheduled to play in. I keep watching the temperature. I'd like to like it to go up about another eight or ten degrees, but here on a golf course can't be that bad. All right. Um, in the time remaining to us, there was there was a story on, on today's TMJ four. My friend Steve Shamraz put it together, part of their I Team um, account, and and it's it's alerting people that there's there's something going on when it comes to gasoline that that people might not necessarily be aware of um in this area we don't have straight gasoline most of the gasoline you buy in southeastern wisconsin is is 10% ethanol ethanol is of course the stuff that they make from corn and they blend it with, you know, regular gasoline. Most of the times when you pull up to the pump, what you're doing is you're putting, again, that this 10, it doesn't have more than 10% that's in. There is this, this gas that, that's around, and it's starting to be promoted more and more, and it's been around for a while. Um, it, it would be called flex fuel, but it's this E15 gas. And, and what E15 gas is, is that unlike... Unlike the normal gas that you're getting, which is 90% gas and 10% ethanol, this is 85% gas and it's 15% ethanol. Now, the story that the I team had the other night that caught my attention, and and it's a lot of times when you see this flex fuel, it'll it'll be clearly delineated. You know that if you're choosing to buy it, you buy it. Now, in my personal opinion. And it's just my personal opinion. Um, I, I I have vehicles that could run on flex fuel. I would never put E15 gas in my car because I think ethanol is garbage. And I think it's, you know, if you use it, it might be a little bit cheaper. 
but what's going to happen is you don't get anywhere near the mileage. I would never personally use E15 gas. So anyhow, this is the I-Team story. Um, it used to be the only number you need to worry about at the gas pump was the price. But a new type of gasoline is rolling out across Wisconsin, and it's not for everyone. The fuel is called E15. Um, used to be called flex fuel, and contains 15% ethanol compared to the 10% in regular unleaded. Though E15 is sold at the same pump consumers are used to, government warnings say it's not safe to use in every engine. Talks to a guy who was at the Oconomowoc Quip Trip earlier this summer and said, number one, the name is misleading. Quick Trip markets E15 under the name Unleaded 88, a reference to the octane level of this blend of fuel. On the pumps at Quick Trip, E15, and I'm a big fan of Quick Trip, by the way. On the pumps at Quick Trip, E15 is sold in the space that used to dispense 89 octane gas. But unleaded 88 actually sells for a few cents less um, than other fuel that comes out of the pump. The only thing explaining all this is a little orange sticker identifying unleaded 88 as E15. Uh, the person says their sign for 29-cent bananas is 100 times bigger than that 15 sticker. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When I go to the, the gas station, now, I have two cars. One of my cars runs on premium gas, um, so I'm always mindful of that. Um, I, I put the regular unleaded. By regular, I mean the, the normal gas in. And I'm always mindful of the, the things that used to, I mean, it would say flex fuel, and typically it would have the, like a green handle or something, so you knew it would be different. Now, according to the I-Team, um, some of this stuff that's out there is not being as clearly delineated as maybe some people think it should be. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you been seeing this out there? And again, I, I understand that they say that for you know cars, they should be able to run on this. But I have to tell you something, and I, I mean this sincerely. Um, if you're going to sell this E15 gas, I, I think gas stations need to clearly label it so people know what it is they're getting. And if you decide you want to run this stuff that I, quite frankly, consider to be junk gas, but if you decide that you want to run this in your car, well, well fine, do it, but, but don't mistakenly... Pick up a thing, say, hey, this is a couple cents cheaper. Here, I'm going to use it. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1051. If you're on the line, please hold on. You seeing this around. We discuss. Stick around. It's 1054. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Dick and Delafield. Dick, good morning. Good morning. Okay, so have you run into this like this this E15 gas being marketed, and you didn't necessarily right. know it? <laughs> right. I was at a quick trip in Delafield, and uh, I I pulled up to the pump, and I'm trying to figure out why this uh, middle grade gasoline was cheaper than the lowest grade. And I'm scratching my head. Right. And I turned to the guy next to me who was filling his car, and I said, "Why would this gas be cheaper?" He said, "Well, uh, look at the fine print. It's 15 right. percent ethanol." Right. So uh, I obviously uh, skipped it because I didn't know whether my car could take 15% ethanol. Um, after I filled up my car with a different grade, I went into the uh, the quick trip and, and found an employee and started complaining. And, of course, the employee acted like uh, 
they didn't have a clue what was going on. But uh, so this I was, wasn't Martin. I mean, see, I, I used to see that it would clearly say flex fuel and it would have like a green handle or something. This you you really thought you were getting the mid grade, or you might have been getting the mid grade gasoline. Absolutely, the the fifteen percent ethanol sign was uh, minuscule. I mean, you you really had to look for it to figure out what was going on. And the only reason I I wasn't tricked was because I I couldn't figure out why that grade would right. Have been cheaper what, right, because it's a couple cents cheaper, right, than the regular and lead. No, thanks to call. And, and again, if you decide you want to use this E15 stuff, go, go with God. Um, you're not going to get as good mileage. It might damage, but it's a little cheaper, but you're not going to get as good mileage, and um, it's not great for all engines. Uh, let's talk to Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Dave. Good morning. Hi, Dave. Yes. Um, I, uh, of course, uh, agree with you that the markings on the pump should be more definitive right. and you know where you know exactly what you're putting into your vehicle but as far as the e15 this stuff has been you know mark or the engineers know about it from the major manufacturers for years and if there's any concern you look in your owner's manual right. that will definitively tell you and even if you don't want to look in the owner's manual it will say right on the gas cap of your car right. what suitable fuel this vehicle is engineered to use right and, and again a lot of the car now thanks and again i, I guess my, my point is again a lot of these cars for example i have i have a car that's scheduled to run and my last one too it runs on flex fuel i would never put the, this flex fuel into the car because i don't think it's good for the car could the car run on it yes but i, I in my opinion the, in my opinion it's my opinion the ethanol lobby can get mad at me i think this is junk gasoline but but regardless if you decide that you want to make the decision and put this in your car go with god that that's okay that that's fine it's a little bit cheaper i think you're probably going to get less gas mileage um but but that's fine my point is that if you're doing that it should be clearly marked and if you've got for example three three hoses on the same gas pump. It's not like you're going to a separate pump for diesel. You're, you know, if you've got three hoses on there and you're used to the middle one being the mid-grade gasoline and now the mid-level one is E15, I think it should be clearly marked to tell you that you're about to put this stuff in your car. Just saying. Okay, I'm sorry. We really touched a nerve with this. Maybe we'll revisit it tomorrow. I am out of time. Brewers and Reds coming up. Hopefully they will win. Regardless, have a great Wednesday. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.